Bandwidth for Communication Lab is provided by Emphasis, world leaders in business writing training. For free resources and course information, go to www.writing-skills.com. Hello there, and it's the future of email. The Google producer heads-up device is the iPad reducing enterprise printing and a gun that shuts people up. I'm joined as always by Rob Ashton. Hello. And we have with us Luis Suarez, who is a social computing evangelist at IBM. Hello, Luis. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me here today. It's a pleasure. Now, the future of email. You've been living without email for four years now. How's it going? It's going great. Um, it's, it's being better than ever. Being, you know, I started doing this uh, four years ago, as you mentioned, and one of the interesting things is that uh, at the very beginning, it felt very lonely, like me doing it alone and no one else. So it was kind of like me fighting the rest of the world about it. And four years later, there are lots and lots of various different companies that are challenging the way they have been depending on email for all of their business interactions. And I have called like several hundreds, if not thousands of IBMers who may not have done as drastically as I have done in reducing email to the point where I have, but certainly they have seen how there's been a substantial reduction on the, in the amount of emails that they received and how they have moved those conversations away into social networking tools. So it's, it's going great. It feels, it feels great being validated by something that you started four years ago and that finally the world is catching up with. You know, with the the social media evangelist at IBM, I think um, the, the, sort of the the most striking thing, if you if you don't know Lewis, is the fact that you live without email, and you're doing that, and you're not living in New York or London, you're living in the the Canary Islands. So <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's like you know, you probably were I, I don't know, you're sort of you're quite isolated to begin with. And then right. you give, and then you give up email. So you know, to be doubly how does that work? That's I think that's really you know the guy who's you know social media evangelist IBM, but has been living w- without email for four years in the Canary Islands and still right. has and still has a job. You know, I, 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 not, not only that, and not only that, I will go and challenge you that if you talk to fellow IBMers, they will probably tell you that I'm the most connected person in the company, and yet I live in Gran Canaria. So that's certainly that's certainly like a proof point uh, that social networking done right works it's magic and that it allows me to live and work in Gran Canaria I'm one of the most well connected people inside of IBM and certainly if I don't know someone that I can help you I will know someone of someone who can help you that's that's how it goes right so it certainly proves that there is a space for all these social networking tools in in business to actually use them uh, to make you more productive and and provide you an opportunity to break the traditional model of how work has been done for the last few decades do you think, I mean, Lewis, you can tell us, you know, it's just, it's just us two and our two listeners. Um, <laughs> does it really work? Does it, you know, just honestly, does it really work, this, this life without email? It does. It does work. You know, one of the things that people can tell me, like, can tell me and say, really, you don't send a single email? Uh, like, really? And say, like, well, you know, I'll tell you what, um, it's been a while that I haven't sent an email to someone. And, and one of the things that happens is that, um, obviously, if people tell me, okay, but have you been able to eliminate it 100%? I said, no, not 100%, but 98%, yes. Uh, there are two instances for which I still use email. One of them is calendaring and scheduling. So whenever I need to set up meetings and, and gatherings with whether fellow IBMers or with customers or whatever else. And the other one, um, it's, and that's because obviously my diary is, is processed through email, right? As, as a user of, of uh, notes client, Lotus notes clients and everything else. And then the other one, 
Uh, the other instance is whenever I have a one-on-one confidential, sensitive conversation about stuff that uh, the other party myself don't feel that needs to be shared elsewhere. So basically, the typical example that I give here is when uh, HR shares my payslip. Um, I don't want the world to know what my payslip is like just yet. But, you know, so those are the two kinds of interactions that I still process through email. And that's that, you know, for the rest, everything else is out. So to give you an idea of how it's working for me, I have gone from 30, 40 emails four years ago that I used to get on a daily basis. And now I'm averaging 16 per week, which is roughly around two emails per day. And my guess is you're getting a lot of work done now instead. Is that right? I have. And, and I, you know, I'm, I, this is the funny thing because one of the things that, I, you know, last week I was in a conference in London, a UC expert, and plenty of people challenged me like, yeah, but, you know, email is where I work and it's how I do work. And I go like, no, is it? no it isn't. Email is just a way for you to justify your work. That's about it, you know. Um, and, and it's sad that you need to use email to justify your work so that you can go and present it to others because they don't trust you or you don't trust them. That's how most people use email nowadays, you know, is the, the, the typical CYA, um, mm. cover your butt kind of thing, right? And, and certainly my experience has been quite the opposite. You know, one of the things of not using email as a, as, as a business tool has enabled me to become a lot more open, transparent, and public on how I share my knowledge and how I collaborate with people. So before, I used to have that opportunity to hoard my knowledge, right, to protect it, because, you know, in a good number of, of countries, especially in Europe, there is a still this mentality that knowledge is power. So if you share your knowledge, you share your power. And to me, it's been quite liberating to actually figure out and find out and experience on a daily basis that it's actually knowledge shared that is power, because... You know, what I keep telling people about when I tell the story is that I'm no longer the bottleneck, right? If people would want to see and find out about my knowledge and how I can help them, they go into spaces where my knowledge is already out there, which is basically come a various different social networks. So what I do is I have major transformation where I no longer fight the corporation or find my colleagues to basically get, get work done. I actually collaborate with them in a much more effective, open manner and transparently than what I did in the past. And that's been... Uh, quite an amazing experience because it's helped me help me help others understand how there is a way there is a life out there without email and you can be just as productive if not more productive by using one of these social tools it sounds to me sorry Rob, i know you're, you're dying to ask a question it sounds to me i'm just trying to get my head around it it sounds to me like um some of the things that you used to do by like sort of one-to-one communication using an email you're now sort of putting out there in the public domain on a more public sort of level have, have i got that right yeah that's right so to give you an example right so I'm, I'm i've been in the company for 15 years so i have developed certain level of expertise in the area of knowledge management collaboration community building uh, and obviously the last 11 years on, on social networking uh, tools for business right so i get asked lots of questions mm. so one of the things that i used to have was i used to have like as an example and this is the example that i typically give out to people i used to have like uh, 50 times the same question from 50 different people and i always had to go and copy and paste their response now what i do is uh, i actually you know someone will come into my social networks like my company profile for instance for social networking which is using IBM connections, and there people will have like that, you know, some sort of like a whiteboard, like a Facebook wall-like kind of interaction, so they can leave messages on my wall, uh, and those messages will be questions, and they will ask me the questions there. So what I do is I go back there into my space, and I provide the answer there. When I do that, I'm telling, I'm doing two things: I'm helping that colleague fix that problem with that question that they had, but secondly, I'm telling his and her network and my network. 
So automatically, I'm already planting the seed to help people figure out what my knowledge is and, and how they can help others should that question come again. And, and ever since I started this, um, I haven't had the same question asked twice, That's brilliant. which I find amazingly liberating because that tells me that my knowledge is being reused by all the people in my network and their networks. And before you know it, is everyone's knowledge. And the biggest benefit from not just from the individual, but also from the business perspective is that one of the biggest worries from businesses is, you know, what do we do with all of this knowledge that we do not know anything about, but that we know that is there, you know, in people's computers, in people's heads, in people's presentations, they're stuck in closed databases. I know it's all open and it's all available. So even if, if at some point I decide to move on, for instance, uh, my legacy is that all of my knowledge will be there for people to be reused. That's fantastic. So and continue it, learning. It, it's almost like a, it's almost like a sort of interactive publishing, then, isn't it? It is. It's, it's interactive from the perspective that it's also helping people understand how, you know, uh, because you know one of the things that happens with email is that this 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 flare of superiority, right, where people feel like you know if I'm going to be sending an email and I use, for instance, the CC or the BCC field, uh, one of the things that happens is that. People tell you, you know, I'm going to be using my bullying capabilities or my, you know, uh, political games or political struggles. And this one then becomes, you know, they're making this shift away from email is where you becoming, you make it more democratizing, more humanizing, where you basically just get together with people to get the work done. As simple as that. I have to admit, you know, I, I, as you would have guessed from my original question, you know, to, to being um, something of a skeptic here. Um, uh, but, you know, you said that you were... It was quite a, a lonely path that you'd chosen to follow initially, or it seemed like it, and, and now um, people are coming along to your way of thinking. And in the news uh, fairly recently, um, Thierry Breton, the um, uh, boss of, of at the French firm Atos, uh, announced, a, or actually re-announced, a, an internal email ban. So uh, clearly um, the, the rest of the world is, is at least beginning to catch up with you. Um, but as just listening to you describe that there, I, I can't mm-hmm. help but start nodding <laughs> even as a skeptic you think oh, i suppose he has a point really um you know i i i i almost it almost feels sometimes as if i get things done in spite of email and certainly when i'm at my most productive it's when i limit the amount of emailing i I'm, I, I do so you know i might check email quite a lot during the day just to check there's nothing really urgent but then I'll, I'll batch all my replies you know and I won't do my, at the moment what's working for me and I, it's a regime that I change every couple of weeks right. uh, when I'm right. constantly looking for something that works um, right. but it is you know, I batch my replies and, and do most of my replies at about four o'clock in the afternoon um, otherwise mm. email just tends to set an agenda uh, and this idea of just just collaborating just uh, I mean it's it's um, sometimes it feels almost as if when you send an email then you you put yourself in in quite a defensive position, um, you know. It's like right, okay, I've done my email, I've sent that, fine, that's that work done, and then back comes a response, and you think, oh no, that's not what I meant, and you get this kind of email tennis, and then somebody else joins in, and then before you know where you are, the whole thing's a mess, and that's just one issue. That's just dealing with one message potentially. You said you had forty a day, you know. That's that's potential for a lot of disruption there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because. When I started this in 2008, um, one of the reasons why I started it in the first place was because I had that strong sense of having lost my productivity, right? Of, of no longer feeling productive enough because I was realizing how 
email uh, to me was actually uh, a ruthless delegation machine of all the people's work dumped into you, right? And yeah. it's also the situation where, you know, email has been used, or better said, has been abused left and right from the perspective of people dumping their tasks, their work onto you in a very secret manner so you only you will see it. And they get away with it because then obviously when the work is done and you have done it for them, you get no credit for it, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's a very, that's, that's a, that's, that was a behavior that in 2008 drove me nuts. You know, before doing that, I thought like, you know, I, I'm more than happy to help you out. I'll go the extra mile for you, but I'm not going to do your work alone, right? So that's when I, I switched from that mentality and saying, you know, this is how far I go from using email into moving into more collaborative space. What happens when you move into more collaborative space is that people see what you do. But at the same time, people see the kinds of interactions that you get across. So all of these silly tasks that people send you, like, hey, can you actually work with me on this presentation and eventually do the work? Or, you know, I'm trying to look for information on this and you can actually fix it with a quick Google search, right? Uh, that, all of that set of interactions disappeared from, until, you know, until, from, from day one that I started there. So I realized as well that it was a way for helping people understand that if they wanted me to, to work with them, you need to be much more of a collaborative effort. You need to be, be more of an open way of saying, you know, I can certainly help you out, but there are certain guidelines in here that we need to respect. And that's the fact that this is no longer about me getting your job done. This is about me helping you achieve your work. And that's how it goes, right? And, and from there onwards, it's become very interesting to see how the people that I work with, I obviously have spent time re- re-educating them on how to use these social networking tools. And one of the things that they kept telling me as I started training them uh, over the course of time was like, my God, I see why you're doing that. I no longer feel that I'm always on the defensive. I'm, no, I'm always on the, you know, trying to react to things instead of being more proactive, right? And I can see how you have made that switch and you have actually been uh, blunt enough to help people understand how this is not about you trying to protect your little space in the corporate world. This is actually trying to figure out how you can help the rest of your colleagues in the corporate world. But that's right, isn't it? It actually it forces you to be reasonable, doesn't it? It's, yeah. It does. It, does yeah. it stops people, does. as you say, sort of taking the monkey off of their back and putting it on your right. back. You know, it's right. actually saying, and, well, everyone's going to see my response here. So I can't, you mentioned the email bullying. You mentioned, the, right. you know, being much more collaborative. If everybody can see what your response is, it has kind of surely not just, has not just a democratizing effect, but a, but a civilizing one as well. It does. You know, there, there are two of the key aspects that describe what I do that I have been telling people about is how you become a lot more flexible. You become a lot more understanding of how people work from the perspective that if people adopt that mentality of narrating their work transparently, which is the concept that I used to describe it using, for instance, microblogging, they give me an opportunity to learn what they do. They'll give me an opportunity to find out what they are doing, how they're doing it, and if they're struggling or not. And if they're struggling, they give me an opportunity to tell them, hey, I can help you. Here's how you can fix your problem. I can't do that on the inbox. Why? Because I don't see what they're doing. You know, it doesn't give me that transparency. It doesn't give me an opportunity to say, you know, here's how I can help you out. And the other thing, the other part of the equation from that flexibility as well is the situation where I can see that if people are busy doing lots of stuff, you know, if people, you know, when they narrate their work, if they're telling me that they're going to meet a bunch of customers or they're going to be traveling or even if they're going to be on holidays, the first thing that I do think is today is not a good time to interrupt them. So I'm going to give them, I'm going to cut them some slack so they get off with that workload and then whenever they have got that 
interruption time back into the game, that's when I go and get in touch with them. You cannot get that on email. Everyone expects that when you send an email, you will automatically get a response. And if you don't do it, you're lazing around. Like, hello, I do have a job to do, and you may not be answering your emails kind of thing, right? So the idea there is to, is to you know, introduce that concept of flexibility. And then the other one is about negotiation. You know, in email, you can negotiate. It's rather you send an email and you have to respond to it. And the more email that you respond to, the more email you get back. That's a universal law from email, right? Uh, whereas with ne- in, in collaborate, collaborative spaces, like the social networking tools, what you do is you negotiate a way of how you can help. So you can go and, and you know, go to your networks and see what they're doing. And, and through that narrate your work, you can help them out knowing that, you know, I help them out today, they will help me out tomorrow. So that's how you negotiate. You know, I, I shared some of my time with you guys today, so I help you in whatever you're doing. And whenever I'm busy, like, you know, traveling or whatever else, uh, now is the time where you guys, if you can help me out, that would be terrific. And that's exactly what has happened. I'm, you know, I go away on traveling on a regular basis. And one of the things that, I've, uh, that I have discovered after starting this and working through my networks is that whenever I go and I tell them that I'm going to be away, if someone comes into my internal networking profile and they leave a question, my network answers it for me. If it is a tough question, obviously they will go and say, okay, we're going to wait for Lewis to come back so that he can respond. But if it's a relatively easy one that they know about, they go and respond to it, which means that when I come back, they have done my work. So I no longer have these hundreds and thousands of emails waiting for me to actually go and process them. I can just be productive from day one, Monday morning, sharp, nine o'clock. And obviously what I do then is I contribute back. Whenever they're gone, I help them out, right? So that it becomes more like a you know, camaraderie or, or partnership where you try to understand what people are doing and how you can help them out. And once you find out you know, what their interest areas are, the group of people that they work with, the work that they're doing, then you become much more effectively in helping them out. And eventually they get the job done faster in a much more collaborative way. That's what I'm trying to do. So you know, when people tell me, so you want email dead? I said, no, no, I don't want email dead. I know that email is still there and it's going to have a still a couple of good use cases. What I want to do is I want to reposition the way we have used email. I want to go and challenge the status quo of how we have done work through email. I don't want email to be the king of all of the interactions that I have done because for a good number of them, it's just a pretty lousy tool, right? I want to get people to understand that there are better ways of collaborating out there where you become a lot more responsive, a lot more flexible, a lot more transparent and open about what you do and that eventually makes you a much better collaborator. That's what, that's what I'm telling people about not using this email thing. I'm interested in, in the range of tools that you're using, Lewis, because um, it, it seems to be you're talking about a much more sort of a collaborative sort of um, arrangement rather than sort of one-to-one. Like there's, there's some quite interesting tools coming out like Fluent.io, which I think are just sort of still starting up and inviting people on gradually. But it, it, it does look like it's more like a, a flow, more like Twitter. So what are the actual tools that you use instead of email? Right. So what I do, you know, one of the things that I do is, uh, obviously, if you go out there and you Google me up, you will find that I have got a whole bunch of various different profiles in multiple places, right? Mm. Uh, more than anything else, it's a way for me to experiment on things, uh, you know, to check out what other new networks and what people are doing and how people are using them and everything else. And uh, one of the things is that, uh, or one of the things that I have done is, is essentially... Uh, settled in, and this was uh, also around four or five years ago, I settled down on what I call 
the big three, right? So there are three major social networking tools that people can find me any which day. And, and actually to the point where I live there, right? And I can explain this later when I, what I mean with I live there. Uh, the one that I use, there's one that I use uh, almost exclusively for work, which is um, something that we have got inside of, uh, inside of IBM itself, which is called IBM Connections, mm-hmm. which is our enterprise social software offering where it allows me to conduct multiple levels of interactions, you know, like blogs, like wikis, like microblogging, like tagging, like social bookmarking. So it's some, some sort of like a collaboration suite, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I use that as internally as well as externally with customers and business partners. So that's kind of like my work stuff, work-related stuff. Uh, for the other stuff where I may have customers, for instance, who are using social networking tools themselves, so they're diving into them and they make uh, use of them and everything else. The other two that I have is Twitter. I rely on Twitter quite heavily, especially when I'm traveling. Uh, because of that immediacy aspect of saying, you know, I can tell people where I am or if people have got a quick question and can provide a short, quick answer or provide a point of where they can find the answer. So I use Twitter for that. Mm-hmm. And then the other, the other social network that I use quite heavily, which is my thinking place, that's where I get to develop my, my deep conversations that I have with my networks is in Google+. Uh, and I know that most people would say, like, Google+, like, what the, you know, what's that, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, because most people would probably be expecting Facebook. Uh, funny enough, I don't even have a Facebook account. I deleted it two years ago. Or I think I deleted it two years ago, but <laughs> I, know that, I know that Facebook has got it still there waiting for me to come back, but I haven't come back. Now, that's interesting. Why did you delete it? Uh, because at the time, at the time uh, Facebook had a lovely first paragraph on the terms of service that indicated that everything that you share in Facebook belongs to Facebook and not to you. Mm-hmm. And I like to own my data. Thank you very much. Now, after that, after, you know, this is like two, up to two years ago, right? Now they have changed it and uh, supposedly you're the owner of your content, right? You own the rights of your content. Uh, but it's still, it, you know, uh, one of the things that happens when you abandon a tool is that you also challenge whether you were actually using it really actively or not. And I you know, two years later, I haven't missed it. And most importantly, none of my networks, none of my social networks have actually missed me in Facebook, which to me is a good sign of telling me I don't need that one, right? Uh, so you also have a tendency to become ruthless to help people understand that you don't need to be everywhere else. You don't need to be, sorry, you don't need to be in every single social networking tool out there, that you don't need to have a presence on all of them, that you can actually focus and the ones that you feel you're getting the most value from. And for me, at this point in time, uh, is those three. You know, IBM Connections for work, uh, Twitter for the immediacy of getting together with people and everything else. And it's, it's basically my glimpse into the global pulse of what's happening out there, right? And, and then Google Plus for those deep conversations on particular topics where I get to talk to people about, you know, this is what's happening, this is what I'm interested in, or an interesting article that I have bumped into, and then develops into the conversation that is longer than 140 characters. And then obviously the one that I don't consider part of the big three, but it's also part of who I am, is my blog. I have a blog and I have a tendency to blog on a regular basis whenever traveling permits. Mm. And that's the one where it's my thinking place. It's, I actually consider my personal learning and knowledge sharing uh, system. System, so to speak. So that's where, you know, when people Google me, that's one of the first things that comes up because that's how people know me from that blog. I've been doing that from like 2005 and I, I have my internal blog that I started in 2003. So that's where I have got, is my, my personal voice in a way. So those are the tools that I use quite heavily at the moment. And presumably on your blog, there's uh, a lot of interaction with comments. 
Yeah, they are. They are. In mm. fact, I, I had, and especially for certain types of topics, I just want to run the, the living with our uh, email and everything else. There are plenty of various different uh, interactions in there. But interestingly enough, here's, here's also something that I have found out from doing this thing about no email, right? Uh, sometimes I do get lots of comments on blog posts that I do. But some of the times I don't get comments in the blog post. I get comments on Google Plus or on Twitter. And I know that to most people, that freaks them out because they say, you know, I want to have my comments on my blog post on my blog. And I say, like, no, sorry, you don't own it. It's part of a conversation. Be mm. glad that you're having a conversation. I don't care where the conversation is held as long as, as we get to talk about this topic and I get to learn from this topic. So, you know, I welcome when people go and, and share their comments on Twitter or Google Plus or whatever else because it gives me an opportunity to carry on that conversation on the space that they feel more comfortable about. It may not be my blog, but it may be somewhere else where they feel that they're more connected, and yet we're having that conversation. So I'm happy to do that, you know. And if people tell me, yeah, but that's all the content that you're losing, and, and you know, you're not going to see it before, or sorry, you're not going to see it anymore, I say, like, so what? You know, I learn about it. That's what matters. So I may know it's out of it, that I know I can bring them back if I need to. I can bookmark that particular conversation if I would want to, right? And I can keep back, you know, coming back to it and say, you know, this, is how, this, has, this has been really re-energizing because it has helped me to get to know people without the technology hurdle, right? Of saying, you know, how do I go and post comments or whatever else, right? This is, you know, getting those comments on the places that they have been doing them for a while. So I go and dive in right into the conversation. Andy mentioned Fluent. Um, and uh, I mean, that's a, that's a new service uh, that integrates with, with Gmail. Um, but I, I think, you know, when people mention if, if you're not using social media maybe even if if you are then you, you tend to think twitter um you tend to think facebook it'd be interesting actually if people are listening to this podcast say in a year's time and and you know whether whether google plus has really taken off because it's the thing with fluent is it's making it look like twitter whereas what lewis is saying is that you need something that has this kind of whiteboard effect where you can just say, look, here's what I'm what I'm working on at the moment. What do you think? And you, you, you've almost sort of posted up there for, for the comments rather than this just stream. Because I think the thing with Twitter, it, 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 if it's going to be like Twitter, then you're just replacing one flow of messages with another flow of messages, aren't you? Yeah, but you know, this is this is this is what I find fascinating when talking to people about this, and when I do live conferences, I had this very same conf- this the same conversation last week in Paris with one of the attendees of the session that I was doing there, and one of the things that he said to me was, "I know that I don't, I know that you didn't speak about this on the presentation, and I actually had short time, so I didn't, you know, there's only up to so much that you can say in, in 15 minutes, right? That was the time that I had, but one of the things that he said, I bet that one of the reasons why you did this." Like he said these words, is because in social networking, you no longer have the pressure to respond or to read everything or to attend everything. Mm. That you actually trust that whatever you're actually doing, if it is really important, if it, were, if it is really meant for you, at some point it's going to come back. And I said, like, how do you know? I said, yeah, because he, I, I said to him, yeah, of course. I said, how do you know? I said, well... Because, you know, I use social networking tools myself and I have noticed that trend where when I use email, there is this expectation that I will read the email and I will respond to it, every single one of them. In social networking tools, you don't. It's part of what they call the river of news, the social flow. So eventually what it means as well is, is all of these social networking tools, they're helping us reevaluate 
what really matters, right? The content that is really helpful to you and how you're going to do that through collaborative filtering. Uh, through email, you cannot filter as, as much, right? Because, okay, you can use rules, you can use, you know, whatever agents and everything else, but eventually, you know, uh, you may be setting out a rule that is actually not providing you the right content, right? And at that point, it's not going to come back. And, and with social networking tools, it's always going to resurface. So this obsession to go, for instance, with Twitter, uh, I don't read all of the various different tweets that I get exposed to, right? Or all of the various different Google Plus threads that I get exposed to. What happens, though, is that I do read the stuff from a very close, trusted network of people who know what my interest areas are and who share in some of those snippets that I know will be helpful for me, right? And then the rest is content that, you know, every now and then I'll get exposed to it and I will be fine and it will be good stuff sometimes. But some of the times I just go, you know, I don't have the time for this now, so I just go and move on, right? You know, by making use of social networking tools, it's trained me to get rid of that obsession of wanting to read everything and respond to everything. So mm. there's this concept of the river of news and the social flow where, you know, it's impossible to basically go and read every single tweet or every single message that is on, on that comes to you on Facebook or Google Plus or LinkedIn or whatever else, right? And what I do, though, is I do have a tendency to read the stuff of the people that I have built the closest network with, of people who I really trust, right? And the reason why I have learn to depend on them is because I have taught them what are my interest areas. So whenever someone finds an article that they think like, well, this, this would be interesting for Lewis, they actually go and tell me. So of all of the various different hundreds of emails that I have, uh, one of the things that has happened there is that all the various different interactions that I've had is that only that one comes through, right? So the idea there is, is that uh, we, we, you know, by using social networking tools, we're also generating that expectation that we no longer need to respond to everything. We no longer need to read everything. And that's when you can really get the most out of the social interactions because that's when you can focus on what really matters to you, mm. not to them, right? Because of how you have built those trust, trustworthy relationships. It's almost like the focus, you, you, you get control over your own focus again, isn't it? It's exactly. You know, um, there's a short video that I, I actually got together, uh, done together with a bunch of folks uh, from the Netherlands. And the way I describe it on the video is I have regained my productivity. I control the flow now. I, I decide, you know, when I, when I keep telling people, is, you know, in, in your inbox, you no longer have the control. Someone else has for you, right? And with social networking tools, is you the one who controls not just the information you get exposed to, but also the people that send you that information, your networks, right? And, you act, and it's actually hard work because it requires fine-tuning. It requires to, you know, bump into people and get to know who they are and figure out whether they have got a space in your close network or not. And if they do, you invite them over. And if they don't, you just, you know, move on. But it's, it's true that it has helped me define how I work, not how everyone else wants me to work. And that's tremendously powerful because it has given me an opportunity to decide the areas of how I can contribute back. And make myself more helpful to others. I've watched that video, and it's very good. We'll um, we'll post a link in the show notes so that because um, it, it really does provide a a convincing argument. And uh, you know, I I continue to on my journey of being convinced. Uh, it's um, I, I think this this idea of extending your network so you have everybody working for you, and you know, what even you know, you put an autoresponder on in in outlook or whatever you use um, mm -hmm. and then you go on vacation then that's it you know you, people get an autoresponder and you come back to a whole 
bunch of emails. Um, if you have this kind of, if you use these kind of collaborative social tools, then your network is working on your inbox while you're away, aren't they? You know, so so you know that that's mm. got to be a great thing. It um, is a great thing. It is a great thing. But you know, the most liberating part is actually when you come back. Uh, from vacation after three weeks and you know that your inbox is zero because it will be zero and you go back to your networks and you go and ask your networks hey folks I'm back I had a great time I could finally disconnect which is not something that you can do with email because how many of us do check emails when we're on holidays <laughs> all yes, of us yes. probably, that's nodding right? hmm. <laughs> ah, there you are. So, so one of the things that I keep, you know, when I came, when I come back and I ask them, "Hi guys, I'm back. I had a great time, fully charged. I'm ready to go for more. Is there anything that I need to look into?" That's a key question. Is there anything that I need to look into? Mm. Over ninety percent of the times that I have asked that question, the answer is no. Which means that two weeks that I have been away on holidays have done two things. First, how, allow me to have a proper holiday, and second realize that I'm not important. The world moves on. The corporate world moves on. Business just goes on whether you're there or whether you're not there. The liberating part is to come back and say, hey, well, since there's nothing there for me to worry about because we have been working or you guys have been working on fixing these questions, so how can I help? And then you dive in right into work. That's incredibly liberating. You know, that's, that's something that I cannot stress out how it makes me feel when I come back from holidays and then people tell me, okay, but you know, you're going to probably move into another company. You're going to probably going to move into the project or whatever else. Will you really continue doing stuff and that stuff or not doing email? I say, yes, this is, this is, this is like a lifetime mission. You know, this is like once you see the light, once you see the actual implications of having a private life again, again uh, in a context of how you can contribute back to your networks and everything else is is tremendous. Absolutely, I mean, from a knowledge sharing really point powerful. of sorry, from a knowledge sharing point of view, it's you're building up this repository of knowledge that if you move on, people then don't have to get into your email inbox or or your, you know just actually sort of go through your email client and try and find out all the knowledge that you've been storing up on your hard drive um, yeah, or, or on yeah. the server. You know that's not necessary anymore. And I think um, I think with email, it's almost like we're kidding ourselves now you know it's it was great when it came out but it's 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 almost like life's moved on and i mean the way i use email now i'm realizing i'm using it more like uh you're describing you know your methods with your life without email um you know as i say i, I batch my replies i don't bother trying to categorize my emails anymore once i've read them i just store them in in red messages and and i leave the you know, I, I, I used to have, you know, a thousand emails in my inbox and I just went through and I realized that 90% of them I could just either delete or just or just put them in, in red messages and, and that's it. Just forget about them. They'll be there. But of course, then if I want to refer back to something, I have to go and search. Whereas Fine. if you're using these so, these social tools, um, then, you know, it, it's just stored in a, a much more 21st century way, isn't it? it the whole thing yeah, is and, just... And it's funny, and it's funny because when you mentioned that it's stored in a in a tw- in a more twenty first century way, it's actually two different aspects in there. You know, it's actually the networks, the spaces, so the various different repositories. You know, the various different tools that you may be using, and there are integrated search engines out there for sure. But it's also people. You know, uh, when I when I go and search for content, if I can't find it, what I do is I ask my networks. They become my search engine. They, gave, they helped me find content that I would never ever imagine that was there in the first place, right? So one of the things that, that's one of, one of the realizations as well is to come to terms with the fact that I do have limitations. 
that I don't know it all, that I'm not an expert whatsoever, that there are other people that know a lot more than I do. And I'm fine with that because I know that when I need to ask them questions, they will be able to help me out back. And that's what makes me more powerful. It's just that I rely now, you know, that one, on the video itself, I mentioned how I'm much more powerful with my networks than with my inbox. Why? Because they help me find content that otherwise I wouldn't be able to find on my inbox and everything else. And, and one of the things, you know, when people tell me, this thing about, you know, not wanting email dead. I keep telling people, you know, it's not that I don't want email dead. What I want email is to be repositioned, right? Like I mentioned earlier on, to go back to basics. You know, if we look into how email was designed 40 years ago, it was designed as a messaging and notification system of content stored elsewhere. That's where email is, funny enough, 40 years later, that's where email is going to evolve again. It's going to become... At some sort of like a messaging or alert system of signals that, of content that is stored elsewhere on your social networks. And eventually, uh, that's going to be like an alert system for you, right? Uh, so it's going to become like a news aggregator, but the content is actually going to be available out there for everyone else to benefit from, right? And that's, that's essentially, you know, when I go and talk to people who've been in the company, I don't know, for 25, 30 years, and they live in their inboxes or they live, you know, using instant messaging. The question that I keep asking them as to why they don't use social networking tools, I say, you know, what's your legacy? How would you like to be known when you're gone? No one has got access to your inbox. Your inbox, you know, when you move on and when you leave the company, HR, the first thing that they do is they delete your mailbox with all of the thousands of emails and interactions and conversations that you had. So how would you like to be known? especially for the younger generations who do not use email. You know, when you're gone there, you know, this, is, this is a key question about, you know, what's your legacy in the corporate world? How would you like to be remembered, say, in five, ten years? And then people tell me, okay, how would you like to be remembered? And I say, well, I don't know. Maybe the man who, the man who tried to kill email? <laughs> I don't know. You know, whatever people would think about it. But I know for sure that the vast majority of the knowledge that I have produced in the last 15 years is up there. It's out there. It's available for people to actually reuse it, bump into it, to find it again, right? And, and when I go and tell these, these subject matter experts about this, you know, 25 years in the company and everything else, I say, like, it would be very sad for me to think that you've been in the company 30 years, you move on, and no one will know who you are. That's mm -hmm. one-third of your lifetime. Mm. It's fascinating. And so, like, that's very, very sad. So that's, you know, this is, this is a whole thing about opening up the conversations, right? It's about getting people to understand that there is a space for these social networking tools for business from the perspective of building your credibility, building your online reputation, your digital presence, after all, right? And how you're going to build it. And it's a lot of hard work. Don't tell me wrong. You know, people tell me, okay, so that, 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 does that mean that, you know, the two, three hours that you used to spend on email every day, that means that you have got those two, three, three hours free of time? I say, no, that's the time that I have invested now back from email into my social networking tools. And believe me, I spend more than three hours per day on social networking tools. But the way I do it is in a way where I see how knowledge flows. I see how it is all becoming more of a learning experience and it doesn't feel like you're spending time in there. Why? Because you know that you're trying to find a space where you can contribute as opposed to have to fight against someone. Um, I guess that four years ago, I was tired of fighting. And mm -hmm. I said, I need to stop this and, and do something more productive. So what advice would you give then to, to organizations or individuals who are looking to, to cut down on email or remove email? Well, you know, there are not so much corporations, but more the end users who make use of email. What I do is, and, and, and this is actually one of the two, the two main tips that I share with people on how they can reduce drastically the amount of emails that they receive. Uh, the number one is stop responding to email. 
And I know that is simple enough, it's mm. common sense, but it works wonders. You know, if you break the chain right there of not responding back through email, you probably on the first on the first month you probably cut down emails by around sixty percent of what you used to get. Mm. Presum- presumably that. you respond via the social networks That's right. instead. That's exactly yeah. because people tell me, you know, but okay, how do you respond through email? I say, no, I don't respond through email. I go and I find out where that social network from that individual is and I respond right there on the social network so that the next time they won't ask me questions. They will go and ask them in their social networks, which is where they should be asking the questions. And if we are part of the social, the same social network, which will be in most cases the situation, I will be getting that message and I will be responding right there on the social networks. Mm. Right. So you basically, I cut the chain right there and I encourage as well the behavior that the next time go and share it through your networks versus going to share it through email again. So that's the number one tip that I give to people. So stop re- responding to email and break the chain and find other channels for you to communicate that. And the second one that I do, which requires a bit more of work, but it's also very liberating experiences where I tell people to get a piece of paper, and, and this works really well on a piece of paper more than any of the you know, digital tools that we may have. And I ask them to actually draw three columns, right? To get three columns there. And the first column, I ask them to study their inbox for two weeks. You know, the kinds of interactions they get. You know, there may be people who actually you know, get lots of questions and, and therefore provide answers as the experts. It may be the people who actually share lots of project status reports or there may be people who actually share news and announcements or there may be people who actually like to gather content to, you know, uh, build their content repositories and everything else. So study how you use your email box, right? And define those kinds of conversations that you're having. And then on the second column, I tell them to match each of those conversations they're having in their inbox with one single component or one single aspect of a social network. So, for instance, uh, inside of the company, you know, we work, I work sometimes with people who have a tendency to share all attachments through email. And I tell them, stop doing that. So, go into a social file sharing space. You know, I describe things like, you know, files and connections ourselves or people using Dropbox or people using whatever other service. And I tell them, you know, put the attachments in there and don't put them anywhere else. You know, that's the actual interaction. So, you go and say, so you move away attachments from your inbox and you put them into social file sharing spaces. So, that's what you do on the second column. And then on the third column, describe the business benefit, Right. So what is it in it for you to do that? So the typical example that I give, which to me is also the return on investment from this experiment on, on email, is that you know we work in the corporate environment where we are with, with Lotus Notes. Uh, we have got what we call uh, quotas, mail quotas, right? So that means that after a certain amount of emails, you, your inbox blows away and you can no longer respond to email. So what you need to do is you need to do housekeeping, right? So you need to delete attachments, you need to delete emails, you need to archive them, you need to whatever, whatever right? Uh, so the idea was that whenever, before I started this experiment, I was spending an average of two to three hours every week doing that, just that, right? And now, ever since I have stopped using your know, attachments on my inbox and everything else as a way to move it, uh, I mean, that means that every week for the last two Sorry, for the last four years, I have saved two to three hours every week that I can then use for something else like helping other people or talk to customers or do events or whatever else, right? So that's the kind of business benefit. And just just for, you know, stop sharing attachments. Then you have got other things about, you know, making you more productive or even, uh, you know, saving your time or even helping you generate more business revenue by being where your customers are, you know, whatever the actual business benefit. And when I tell people about doing that tip, I tell them, you know, once you have got each of those various different interactions, the key thing now is to do one every week. So pick up one of them and move it away from your inbox into your social networking tools. My mistake was that when I started doing that, I did them all. 
in one day, right? <laughs> so it, it became like very like, oh my God, like, are you sure you're doing this? And in fact, there was a time after three weeks that I was on the brink of giving up and go back to email. And I'm a Spaniard, I'm stubborn, you know, and I said like, no, I'm going to try and push for this and see what happens. And I did. And eventually, you know, four years later, I'm still there, right? But it, it was interesting for me to, when I go, and I go and tell people that if they go and they do that, if they move one interaction per week away from your inbox, I tell them that within three months, they will be off their email by 90% of what they get now. And I haven't seen one yet failing doing that from the ones that I have been coaching and helping out. So it does, it does work as a method of moving away from the inbox for the, you know, that, that 90%. And then people tell me, yeah, but that's not 100% of your emails. I said, yeah, but look, it's 90%. Mm-hmm. It's nine out of the 10 emails that you receive every day. If you just receive 10, which we know that is not the case, that is out of your inbox. That's not such a bad thing. Go to um, the uh, show notes page and let us know how you get on because it's certainly, I I can't see a reason why that wouldn't work. As Lewis describes there, it might take a couple of weeks for it to start working, but then it sounds like you'd never look back after that. So let us know how you get on. You know, one of the things that I have been doing lately, because I see how there's lots of lots of people picking up on, on the theme and it's becoming to grab momentum. One of the things that I'm doing to help them out is I'm actually using a hashtag on Twitter called L-A-W-W-E, as in living a world without email. And I'm using that hashtag on Twitter live for everyone else to use as well. Uh, where I can help out people who may have got questions or who may have got, uh, you know, how-tos or who may struggle in the organizations to make them move away from email. And I provide them with as many tips and helpful advice as I can. And I, I have even offered uh, to talk to them through, uh, you know, live conference or next time that I'm troubled that I may be at the same time. So I may, I'm, I'm more than happy to go on and, and use that resource as well to help others make them move and learn from their experience just as much as they will be learning from our experience. Let's move away from email now and just talk briefly about um, devices uh, in in the corporate environment, specifically iPads. There was an interesting article recently in AppleInsider.com about how the iPad is is reducing printing in the in the corporate sphere. I think it was something like forty six percent of tablet users reported a reduction in in, in printing. You got any experience of this, Lewis? I do. It's it's funny. It's funny. It's very interesting because obviously, you know, I get to travel quite a bit, right? So I'm always on the move. And one of the things that I do is I always carry my iPhone and my iPad with me as my working machines. And and ever since I actually got an an iPad, there is only one instance for which I still print paper on paper, and that's when I need to do my expense reports because you know they need to have like the original receipts and everything else. Mm. That's the only instance that I print nowadays. And it's all thanks to the iPad. I, I don't do it. You know, it's something that it becomes, I, I keep telling people that, I, I, you know, they attach that device to my hand and it's part of my hand now, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's great because it allows me to, you know, to check into things, whether they're not work-related, where personal related or whatever else. While I'm on the road, while I, you know, it's no longer, the way I define it is that all of these, all of these mobile devices, whether they're tablets or whether they're, smartphones, they're actually helping us redefine the concept of workplace from the perspective that it's not longer a physical location, that work is you, you are works, and that happens wherever you are and work with whatever the devices that you have. So I can certainly, you know, I was reading the article the other day as well, and I was kind of like nodding my head as I was saying like, yeah, this is absolutely right, because it made me think, you know, when was the last time that you actually had to print something? Like outside of that context of the of the expense reports, and I thought like it's been years probably that I haven't done it. 
I'm a recent convert and uh, I'd spent a long time resisting um, uh, and then decided to, to dive in and, and get an iPad uh, about, uh, well, about a month ago, I think. Um, and I'd say that within two or three days, I went from a uh, reluctant uh, user to, I'm sorry, but you would have to prize this from my cold, dead fingers. <laughs> Me too. Uh, uh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm looking now, as, as we speak, you know, the last communication lab I had... I don't know, about six, seven piles of paper in front of me with my notes for the various stories that we were going to talk about. Now I have none of that. I have my iPad and I have about eight tabs open on Safari <laughs> and that's it. And I just touch the next tab. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's okay. Well, enough advertising for Apple, but I can certainly see how this would work, you know, that people are printing less, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, the way the way I see it, and and this is you know, I'm, I'm certainly you know, people tell me that I'm like a Mac fanboy, and I'm not. Believe me, I'm not, because um, there are a number of different things that I really don't like. But but one of the things that I find incredibly um, inspiring from the iPad itself is the situation where you no longer feel like you're doing work that you actually can do something fun, where you no longer struggle with technology, right? Uh, you know, being like I said before, I've been using computers for 15 years, right? And and I have gone from Windows onto Mac and everything else. And um, believe it or not, um, I work for an IBM and IT company, but I do hate technology to death. You know, technology and myself haven't gotten on very well with each other for the last few years. And yet the iPad has allowed me to forget completely about technology and focus on what I want to do just for the sake of what I want to do. Not trying to figure out like, okay, so how do I do this now? Say, no, 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 it's just like, do it. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful. You know, in, in the corporate world where the vast majority of people are not techies, that's just like, wow. Like, where were you? You know, where were you as a device? You know, I needed you like five, ten years ago. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. In fact, uh, last week I was um, using, a, a, I downloaded a, a project management tool and I had a Gantt chart and uh, I was trying to work out how to use this. And, and I got so irritated because I just wanted to swipe to bring up the delete button. I just wanted to be able to just put my finger on one of the items in the, in the Gantt chart and move it to another right. one. And in the end, I mean, I gave this about half an hour and I just thought, stuff this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to use this this particular app. I'm going to find another one that actually uses this technology properly. Uh, and, and I did. I found something called X-Plan. Really good right. X plan, by the way. Uh, and with that, you know, you can m- do exactly that. It's you forget the technology; the technology gets out of the way, mm. and it gets you back to being productive again. Um, and it's a bit like good writing. You, you shouldn't notice good writing, and and you shouldn't notice good technology. It should just help exactly. you uh, work better or, or or get on with your life. Right. Which which to me that that same sentiment, Rob, I translate it into one single sentence. You should enjoy it. We haven't enjoyed technology for a long while, and now with these devices, we're certainly starting to enjoy technology to get us that experience that we didn't have before. And that's so liberating because you know, time and time again, I don't I don't know whether this has happened to you guys, but you know, I'm using a Mac, right, as my as my work computer, and there have been times where I have gone with my finger and touched the screen and said, like, why does it doesn't move? You know, it's been so pervasive, the use of the iPad, that I go, like, I can't flip this like that, you know, and then I remind, no, no, hang on, yeah. that's the mouse, you know, like... <laughs> Do you know, this happened to happened to a friend of mine recently, his, his, uh, his two-year-old daughter went up to his brand-new flat-screen TV, having, you know, just been eating her 
uh, oatmeal or porridge, or whatever it was, and started right. sort of trying to move the pictures about on the screen <laughs> by touch, touching his screen. It's like, well, yeah, well, why can't you do that? You know, that's sort of right. there, there are there are babes there actually, sort of just using this stuff um, and saying, well, you know, they're just they're growing up with it, and they say this is how technology should be. What about um, Google goggles? Their uh, their announcement recently, they're going to sell heads up display glasses by uh, by the end of this year. Is is that uh, technology or? to enjoy using um to be honest with you I, I, I will be on the skeptic side on this one i will need to see it literally i'm pun intended there i will need i will need to see it and experience it to see whether it will be something that i could use or not uh it's it, it is fascinating you know if you go and read the articles on what you know what it could be like and how it could be like and the various different use cases uh it would certainly be providing a much more realistic way on how we actually we collaborate with the world with the external world and it will be something that uh, will be very exciting but i think i'm going to be a bit skeptical on that one and i would want to go on and and see what it would look like when it comes out it was um i think it was andy Inarco on um macbreak weekly uh said uh, recently that people are willing to put pieces of plastic into their eyes uh to avoid wearing glasses so are they really going to want to take something you know wear glasses when they don't need to anyway you know you do have to wonder about that but you know Loomis have been bringing uh, Loomis another company have announced uh, that they're going to bring something out like this but I I do wonder something else that came up on MacBreak actually was um, the point that uh, uh, there was an Apple a former Apple employee uh, revealed recently that uh, he spent the first six eight months of his time with, with Apple working on a, a project that actually was completely bogus uh, because Apple was just testing whether he would leak it and, and actually start telling people about it. And you do wonder, really, if Google is, is actually developing these, uh, these heads-up uh, glasses or whether they've just, they've just given this to some hapless new employee and uh, you know, he or she is just about to lose their job because they've told the world about Did it. Did it go down? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I that could be, you know. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, I mean, what about uh, this? Uh, finally, Andy, what about this uh, weird gun? That, well, uh, I was going to ask you about you, that. Uh, <laughs> is it, it's called a shut-up gun. What are you it? saying? What are you saying? You want to point this shut-up gun at me? Uh, this is um, yeah, it's a story that that. Uh, that you trying to tell me I'm speaking too much? Uh, uh, no, no, I was thinking uh, you leveling that one at me. Actually, um, this is a, a a device that actually um, can be pointed at people to 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 um make them stop talking um it's a i suppose it's kind of a, a vocal equivalent of a taser um uh, it, what it does is it gives uh, it gives uh, delayed auditory feedback so i suppose that's a bit like um if you've ever made a um a long distance phone call or or Skype when it's not working very well and you get an echo and it become right. can become very off putting what this does is it times the echo so that as you're about to speak, it delivers the echo of what you've just said. And apparently this just completely throws the brain into, to the point of very quickly it just gives up and doesn't say anything. I can think of one or two moments when... Uh, but it's, it's hardly a pocket device. If you've seen the picture of it, it's like a big black box you have to sort of carry around I know. With you. You, you could actually kill someone with that, literally. Yeah. <laughs> you can point it at them or you can hit them over yeah, the head with it. Either the way, they're going to shut up. Uh, I, tell you, I tell you what, you know, this, this is, when, I, when I read that news item, I thought like, you know, this would be interesting. I could actually make use of that with a bunch of social media gurus and experts and all that <laughs> you know to keep them quiet for a little while you know 
Uh, certainly, there will be that, a fine use case out there for the, for the actual gadget. But I can tell you what, I'm, I'm looking now at the picture right now while you guys have been talking, and I thought, like, that's some nasty, serious weapon there, you know? <laughs> imagine trying to get that through security at an airport, you know? Just, uh... no, you know, you know imagine, imagine having to explain that, and you go like, yeah, let me show you, you know, like, what? <laughs> I like the fact that it's got a laser pointer on it, as if it was a gun. You know, you suddenly wear this green spot on your cheek, and that you, you know you're going to be silenced any second. Wow, that's, that's, yeah, exactly, I don't know. That would be quite an interesting experience, I'll tell you that. Who's going to try it, anyway? I would love to see a YouTube video of how people have used. Yeah, it. <laughs> I think we need to get a review, uh, a review one, so that we can we can try it around the office. But uh, yeah, yeah. maybe it's a, just a prototype. Well, I think we better leave it there. So Lewis's blog can be found at www.elsua.net. Thank you very much for joining us, Lewis. Thank you, Andy. Thank you all for having me today. It's been a pleasure being with you guys. Thanks for joining us. It's goodbye to you all, and we'll see you next time on Communication Lab. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Communication Lab was brought to you by Emphasis Business Writing Trainers. Sign up for free training at www.writing-skills.com. Hold up. 